Welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. With our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, away for a further week, lucky Matthew, I'm thrilled to welcome Rowan Griffin to the podcast this week. Rowan is the Executive Director of ESG at QIC and has quite recently joined us, so I'm really pleased to have a chat to him and a very good morning to you, Rowan. Hello and thank you, Alison. Yes, I'm a long-time listener, but a first-time participant, so thank you for inviting me. I might jump right in with a question for you, given the RBA raising interest rates by further 25 basis points this week, as you and Matthew Peter had well predicted for some time. What are you seeing in terms of market implications and any fallout from this? Thanks, Sean, and that's thanks to the nod for the uh, prediction. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're alone in that one, in that the market was uh, very much expecting the 25 basis point increase this time round. But I think what was perhaps a little bit of a surprise to the market was the commentary uh, from Dr Lowe, which was less hawkish than previously. So that did actually create quite a reaction on the bond market. And in particular, the Australian bond market at the front end, where two-year bonds decreased by 20 basis points. So a really material move uh, to 3.39%. So the difference in the commentary they kind of alluded to was previously they talked about further tightening in coming months. The new commentary was a little bit broader. It talked about tightening in the period ahead. And so we love reading between the lines of a, of a commentary and a statement. And really, this saw the market thinking about the fact that there could be a pause. And some people are even saying that really that was a nod to a pause in the rate rise in April, the rate rises in April, and that we might see um, further raises past that. In terms of what the market's actually pricing now, it certainly has come back a bit, as I noted, but it's still looking at about a further two 25 basis point increases from here until we reach our peak terminal rate. Uh, so hopefully that's it for all of us with the mortgage. That's, that's uh, enough, I think. But I might ask you a question now, Ron, because it hasn't been just about rate rises this week. There's been some pretty interesting ESG news. And in particular, the headlines that the US Senate overturned the Labor Department rule allowing ESG factors to be considered in investment decisions. What do you make of this one? You know, ESG seems to be having its moment and it's a flashpoint in the US politics. Certainly, you know, any uncertainty about regulation makes the investment community very uneasy. So to give the listeners a bit of context, the rule we're talking about really is substantially different from the rule it superseded, which was in the Trump era, and it could still be vetoed. But the heart of it, the old rule requested or required or allowed rather for ESG to be considered only if it was material to an investment, whereas the new rule allows for all relevant ESG factors to be considered to get a more complete picture of risks and opportunities and returns. So I know that any investment or potential investment needs to go through an investment process. And at the end of the day, any investment committee won't approve something unless the returns stack up anyway. So this is all a bit of hot air in my view, to be honest. But at the same time, ESG factors may contribute to an investment decision. And it's not really always about the financial material aspects of an ESG decision. So for argument's sake, if there was a human rights issue, something like child labor in a portfolio or in a company that we invest in, there might well be a reason to divest for that or a multitude of other reasons. So overall, I think it's a folly to stop these considerations. However, Alison, I might turn the microphone back to you. I know that when we had a recent strategy day, um, and this is very relevant to the prior question, your investment philosophy takes into account macroeconomic and geographic mega trends, and you know climate and other ESG issues are one of these. So when you talk about risks, how do you factor ESG risks into constructing portfolios? 
Yeah, thanks, Rowan. It, look, it really is a very important topic for us, or a very important area, I should say. And we think about ESG in both a risk construct, but also an opportunity construct. And I think there is both of those sides of that coin um, that are really important when thinking about portfolios. And, and ESG in its broader context, I think, you know, with something that we've embedded from a bottom-up construct. So to explain that a little bit more, we think about the risk that a client is happy to take, and so therefore... Uh, what returns might be appropriate and how we can get a really diversified uh, strategic asset allocation. Uh, but then in filling in that strategic asset allocation, we hire managers locally um, and globally. Um, and as I say, that's both from a risk perspective, but also from an opportunity perspective. So that's for new managers and, in, and incumbent managers. We meet with them on a regular basis, making sure that they're taking into consideration a really broad perspective to make sure the investments are well-rounded and positioned from an ESG perspective. Uh, but we also have an engagement program where we engage with companies uh, on issues that are aligned with QIC's principles. And another example is we vote all of our shares to make sure that we're having a voice in expressing issues that we think are consistent with our principles. Changing track a little bit though, Rowan, if I could, um, you've been at QIC for five months. I know there's a lot going on, but what are your priorities in the next 12 months? Thanks, Alison. You know, what, what I'm looking at and what we're focusing on at QRC, the first one is actually coming up with a climate action plan. So I really want to get a net zero target agreed this calendar year. And it's quite difficult across our diverse businesses. We effectively have a number of investment streams and we need to take a considered approach and a consultative approach across those investment streams to make sure that what we do is appropriate for the business. The second one is strengthening our social capabilities. So, you know, when we talk about ESG, it's the S. So very often the E takes priority and the S takes second right, you know, second, second line effectively. But um, what we need to do is look at everything from human rights, labor rights, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, together, at the end of the day, what our managers are doing and how they're actually managing this in the money that we actually provide them. So that's an area that we'll be strengthening. And finally, we need to actually strengthen our own staff literacy and understanding of ESG. You know, there's there's still a lot of awareness that needs to take place about carbon and, and, and various aspects of ESG. So we'll be building great awareness and training on that. You've uh, got a busy 12 months coming coming up there, Rowan, but uh, all very admirable objectives. And I think really important. I think the last one, as you mentioned, in terms of that literacy, it's because it's such a changing space and a rapidly evolving space I think that continued education is is incredibly important what issues are keeping you up at night across the ESG space you don't know how I sleep Alison nothing <laughs> keeps me away from sleep <laughs> but there's certainly a lot of items and emerging ESG issues that we need to be cognizant of we've spent many years in the space focused on climate so seeing natural capital and biodiversity come to the fore through the investment community is something that we know we will need to focus on, and it's good to see that. There's a greater realisation outside of the sustainability community now that the planet is dependent on nature and biodiversity. And I know that the task force on nature-related financial disclosures, which is soon coming in September, in fact, is something that we'll need to take into consideration. The second one I already mentioned was a deeper understanding in how companies that we invest in perform in terms of in their social performance. So human rights and, um, and looking at that, the social value that's created, but also social license to operate. So strengthening our capability there. So that's definitely, there's a lot more focus on that coming up. Really, the other thing that I'm quite delighted about is that the ISSB, so the International Sustainability Standards Board, is finally coming to the fore with a standardised reporting and disclosure regime. 
so that they've actually um, said will come to the fore in next year, so 2024. And I'm actually delighted because I'm so tired of the alphabet soup on sustainability mm -hmm. reporting protocols. It'll be fantastic just to have one that's a standard, just like accounting standards board. The other thing we've got to be very aware of is regulatory requirements coming down the line. So SFDR in Europe has already come to, to being. Um, we're seeing the Australian government um, coming to the fore on, on stronger regulatory requirements, and that will come out next year. Um, yeah, so a lot to do. Um, so my sleep is fine, but the workload will only grow. Well, I'm pleased to hear you're sleeping well. And, and even though you're saying the alphabet soup will get fixed, there was a fair few uh, acronyms in there already. So it is a bit of a tricky space there, but it's good to get that standardisation. I agree that's a very important step forward. Just a final one for you very quickly for our listeners, please. I know we're running it perhaps a little short of time, but there's been a bit of uh, action a bit closer to home with a recent ASIC uh, undertaking on greenwashing. Any, any comments on that one, please? Yes, absolutely. Greenwashing is really important to call out. It's important for transparency reasons to see what is being reported and claimed and to see that that is actually being done. This is something that we are very aware of and that ASIC certainly aren't mucking around with and nor should they be. We are taking steps to be vigilant in this regard at QRC. It's an evolving space, just like ESG, and it's a watching brief. Well, thanks, Ron. I certainly agree. It's a, an important thing to, to focus on. And, and from, from my perspective, investing portfolio is incredibly important from both an opportunity set perspective, um, as well as the risks to make sure that we are, you know, comprehensively thinking about all the aspects of ESG and building a portfolio. And and for us, I think, you know, that also includes climate change in that E as being centrally important as we think about leaning into potential opportunities associated with things like energy transition, for example. So thanks again, Rowan, for your time today. I really appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners for taking 10.